Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Some of you know the story of Santa Claus. And uh, without saying much of about Santa himself, whether uh, well, I, won't even, I won't even broach certain subjects because I don't know what you all talked about with your kids. But when we think of the person of St. Nick, um, you might not realize, but he is thought to be a historical figure, uh, St. Nicholas of Myra, generally recognized to have lived around the 200s to 300s AD. And he attended perhaps one of the most essential conferences and councils of the church, the Council of Nicaea, really a, a critical meeting of Christian leaders to hone doctrine, and essentially to talk about what we believe today as Christians. It's also thought that he was very generous to young children and gave gifts to many different people, hence the legend. He was persecuted for the faith in Christ, thrown into prison by Emperor Diocletian for his faith, and in that sense, he truly was a saint. Now, for those who perhaps come from a Roman Catholic background, Saints have a very particular title, and it's meant for only special people beatified by the Pope and the Church. But when you look at Scripture, the word saint literally means sanctified ones, holy ones, people who have been set apart for God. And we believe that saints aren't specified for unique individuals, but really for anyone who believes in Jesus. And so I thought about, I'd talk about a different St. Nick today. Not St. Nicholas of Myra, but St. Nicodemus. Good old St. Nick. <laughs> and this St. Nick, and I, I was debating, should I name this message Nick at Night? But I thought only a few people would know that. <laughs> because truly, Nicodemus comes at night, this saint. But this Nicodemus, this Saint Nick, teaches us much more about Jesus and who he is and why we are here today than anything that Saint Nicholas of Myra teaches us about Christmas. What we learn from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and as we're continuing this stream through the Gospel of John, we see three characteristics, and I do, that helps us to understand this heart of Christmas Day. And I hope that afterward you'll say with me, 
really so thankful for this Saint Nick. First, we learned that Saint Nick was humble. And second, he was seeking. And then third, he was moving. Humble, seeking, and moving. So we're going to look at verse uh, 1 through 2 and see this first characteristic of humble. Now, there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Remember before, there were many people who saw different signs and miracles, and they believed in him, believed in the signs and miracles. They saw these performances, and they thought, Surely, this is someone who is very special. But most of these people who saw the signs and, quote, believed in him, did not actually open their heart to him. They wanted Jesus to perform miracles on their terms and their timing. And until Jesus did that, they would say, yeah, he does great things, but I don't know if I really trust him. They wanted essentially a again, to date myself again, a jukebox Jesus. You know, they wanted put in the quarter, play the miracle for me. And generally, when people came to Jesus, especially the Pharisees, they never approached him with an open heart. They were mesmerized by the miracle, but they didn't want the message. They came to use Jesus, and Jesus knew that they came to use him. So, for Nicodemus to come, even at night, surely took some courage because his peers, his fellow Pharisees and Sadducees, they had a very closed heart towards Jesus. And for Nicodemus, even to come, would have really risked a lot his reputation, his life, essentially, as he knew it. He actually took on humility when he came. He was, as John describes, a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was highly educated, respected, moral, wealthy, the upper class of society. And Jesus, who was he at this point? He was a carpenter's son. He was a laborer's son. He himself was a laborer. So you have this upper echelon, white-collar, highly sophisticated, educated man, and then you have this blue-collar, never went to, and had, and the Gospels pointed out, he was never formally educated. So he's not someone significant when it comes to education and life and experience. And so when Nicodemus is coming to him, it really says something about his humility. Because think about it. In our world, the lesser always seeks out the greater. The CEO, for those of you who work in a large corporation of your company, does rarely goes to the mailroom and has a deep conversation with the clerk. The mailroom clerk just doesn't happen that way. The, the most popular kid in your school, kids, rarely goes to the most unpopular child and has a deep friendship. It just doesn't work that way. And so it takes a lot of humility for someone like Nicodemus with his stature to go to talk to someone like Jesus. But here's the thing about humility. The more you try to be humble, the less humble you are. The more proud you will become. Because humility is not earned, 
And it's not something you achieve through your accomplishments. And it's not something you try to do to gain inherently. Humility comes most when you see something greater or someone greater than yourself, and suddenly there's a lessening of who you are, not out of envy or jealousy or revenge or anger, but simply the real recognition that someone greater than yourself is present, and you sense it. Nicodemus saw Jesus doing things that he believed God had to be involved with. It couldn't be just a trick. And so verse 2, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There was something about Jesus' miracles that opened his heart to want to find out more. And it isn't just the fact that miracles were performed. Because as we saw last week, again, many people believe in miracles, but then they turn away from Christ. We also know that Satan can perform miracles. When the magicians of Egypt were able to turn their staffs into snakes, just like Moses' staff, surely then you can say Satan can perform miracles. In fact, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul warns against such miracles in 2 Thessalonians 2. 9 through 10, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. So miracles on its own never convinces anyone to follow Jesus, to trust him. If you ever pray for a miracle and say, Jesus, if you're real, if you just show me this, if you give me this sign, if you bring healing, if you make me rich, then I really will follow you. The Bible says that actually you won't. Whenever you think a miracle is what you need, you'll never find trust in Christ. You might actually even receive the miracle, but you, not, you will not turn to Jesus. For Nicodemus and for us, it is the nature of the miracles and their alignment with Scripture that led Nicodemus to say, no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So miracles with scripture, the Bible, connecting together helps us to see God has to be at work here. So that's humility. Second is seeking. It takes more than humility to follow Jesus. Nicodemus' heart was open, but he also sought Jesus out. All the other Pharisees heard the same message. They saw the same miracles. And rather than opening their hearts to Jesus, it actually made their hearts harder to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That they saw these dramatic events happening and they actually became angrier. They wanted to kill him for what he's doing. Eventually, they would be so hard wanting him dead. But Nicodemus, he wanted to find out more. It's interesting that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. Was he a coward? Well, if he was a coward, he never would have went at all. It would have been much easier for him not to go. I think it shows us a little bit about seeking itself and the nature of seeking. There are times where seeking is sudden and bold, takes dramatic steps. And perhaps some of you have that testimony where you were not in Christ and suddenly the Lord convicted you and struck you and then you turn your heart to him. But for some of us, came in stages. There was slow progression, small steps, 
Perhaps you were slow and cautious, like Nicodemus. He doesn't just go right out and believe. He comes at night, is cautious, but it progresses forward, even though the steps are small, but they are still steps forward. And I think that's really important. It is important for us, perhaps, who are sharing Christ with a beloved one, a family member, a friend. Perhaps you're here because someone has brought you. And then the person never says anything about Jesus after all. And then suddenly you think, oh, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't work. But isn't it possible that the Lord, in his own timing, in his own ways, often draws people, sometimes slowly. And we must never despise the small steps towards Christ. Sometimes there are two steps forward, one step backwards towards Jesus. And we get discouraged by the one step backward because we want immediacy. But the reality is that if my math is correct and I'm not good at math, two minus one equals one forward. The two steps forward, one step backward still is forward. And that's the point of a seeker is that seekers move forward. It takes time. There's a real wrestling. Another thing about this seeking is that Nicodemus could not approach Jesus as a ruler of the Jews. So he was a ruler of the Jews, but if he, if he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm the ruler of the Jews, then he would have been just like the other Pharisees. He would have never wanted to know about Jesus. When Jesus heals the blind man in John chapter 9, the Pharisees call the blind man to testify and ask questions about Jesus. And when he does so, and when this blind man says, he he did this miracle. Don't you believe him? Why don't you believe him? They were so angry at that. And they say in chapter 9, verse 34 of John, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. You were born in utter sin. You see, they had such a high view of themselves. Like, even though this man who clearly was born blind and suddenly can see, they don't care about the miracle. They just see themselves as ruler of the Jews. And when you're so high on yourself, you could never open your eyes to see what God is doing. Everyone was beneath them. When they didn't like what they heard or saw, they became dismissive. They were unworthy of time. Teachers and rulers cannot see Jesus. We become too full of ourselves and our titles. You know, it's a really dangerous thing for the church to have the same heart. Pastors, professors of theology, elders, deacons, in our church, gospel community leaders, missionaries, if we are so caught up on the title rather than what the title is supposed to signify, then we actually cannot approach Jesus. We won't seek him. If I am a pastor and I come up to you and say, hi, my name is Pastor Sam, and you say, hi, Sam, and I say, well, why don't you call me pastor? That says something. I'm caught up more in the idea of being a pastor than I am being Sam. And I find that it is so interesting that so often we have this title in our mind, and the title is so much more, but it keeps us from seeing Christ and actually caring for other people. We are first and foremost children of God. If you are in Christ, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your first identity and your core is, I am a child of God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. 
And that title is better than doctor, professor, pastor, elder, teacher. It's infinitely better than all those. The best doctors, pastors, professors, teachers, elders are the ones who see themselves not as those things, but as sons and daughters. They are the ones who thrive in those offices. You will only see yourself if you only see your life through your personal achievements. It's all about you. But when you see your identity linked to God, tied to him, tied to the work of God's son, then you are so free to see the world as it is, to love people, to be gracious. You don't have to prove yourselves to others, and you certainly don't have to prove yourself to Jesus. You can't. But if you have any of those things, you will not be a seeker. You will not seek him. If you are trying to show you are good enough, you won't seek him. If you think you need to, that Jesus needs to see your credentials and your degrees and your goodness, you won't seek Jesus. Santa Claus wants to see whether you're naughty or nice. Jesus already knows. And he actually knows that deep in our hearts, naughtiness is a part of who we are. But the blood of Christ washes that away completely so that there is no naughty. Because he is good, you are good in him. We can't impress Jesus ever. But that's not what he's looking for because he knows it. He's in, the father is impressed by you because of his son. And so therefore, you're set free from trying to prove yourself in this world and to him. Do you see how Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. It must have been an intense discussion amongst the religious elite to talk about this man who was performing these miracles where all these crowds are following and saying, this is the Messiah. And they're thinking, what do we do about this? How do we approach this situation? They were discussing it. They were arguing about it. And Nicodemus is sort of giving us a little window into that, that discussion, that argument. They too know that Jesus teaches and acts like someone they had never seen before. They know he is from God. But Paul describes for us how it is that someone who knows someone is from God and yet refuses to believe it. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew, although they knew God, they did not honor him. They refused to believe. There was a suppression of truth. Nicodemus does the opposite. He knows Jesus is from God, and so he sought him out. And what happened then is he moved. It actually caused action. And that's the thing. It's the last part is that it doesn't just stay at the character humility. It doesn't just come about with the desire to seek. Seeking has to move forward and progress to action and moving. You can't remain stagnant. You have to move forward. If you're born again, that very act of being born again is so dramatic, so transformative, that it is what it sounds like. And Nicodemus says, we're going to study this passage in a lot more detail in the coming weeks. 
But if you're born again, that means you're literally, figuratively, spiritually born again. And that's something that Nicodemus is saying, I, I don't understand. Do I have to be born in my mother's womb? What, what's going on here? Or as John describes it, Nicodemus says, truly, truly, or Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The transformative change forces action, mobilize. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes further than any of the Pharisees. He's convicted. But even going to Jesus, as we see in this chapter in John 3, it's not enough. There's investigation, but he's trying to figure it out. Do I really believe? Just because you sing songs, and isn't it remarkable how much you can go into the malls and just the street corners and the villages, and you hear songs about Jesus. Uh, someone was telling me they went to Great America and there they were playing the, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas. And there's the reading of the Gospel of Luke. And in Great America, you hear the Bible being read. This is the Bay Area. I mean, how usually talking about the name of Jesus is only allowed if it's in a curse word. But here in this time, we hear all these songs, but surely most people don't actually believe those words. Just because we sing these songs or hear these words and celebrate his birth by gift giving doesn't mean that we're a true follower of Christ. Nick comes at night, but that doesn't mean he believes. And as we see the rest of John, though, we see what this transformation looks like. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus defends Jesus in front of the other Pharisees, so much so, so that they say, what are you, a follower of him? I mean, this is someone who comes at night because he is concerned, but it's a first step. Then the next step is they're in that meeting again, and for the first time, he speaks up. And perhaps some of you are in college, and they're talking about just the the woes of and evils of Christianity. And imagine you're, you're having a hard time ever speaking up, and finally you do. It takes a lot. It takes transformative change. So Nicodemus gets the courage to actually stand up in John chapter 7. And you might think, well, that's the end of the story, isn't it, about Nicodemus? He is a Christian. You know, the, the gospel of John ends with the story of Nicodemus. When it counted most, when all the other disciples had run away, every disciple, the 12, one had betrayed him and had committed suicide. Another had denied him three times. Everyone else had run away. But in John chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, Nicodemus shows up one more time. And we're told that he and Joseph of Arimathea did this beautiful yet dangerous act because to take the body of an insurrectionist and tried to find burial, they risked their lives. Pilate could have said, you are aligned with him. Remember, Peter denied himself, denied knowing Jesus three times because he didn't want to be known to associate with Jesus at all. So for Nicodemus to come and say, we'd like his body. 
well, that, that could have gotten him killed. But we're told that John says this, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. At some point, Nicodemus was born again. He was convicted by Jesus' words. He realized he couldn't save himself. He realized being a ruler of the Jews was not enough. He was not first a ruler of the Jews in Israel. He was a sinner in need of salvation. And when no one was around except for Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus came at night one more time. But this time, not with questions about birth, but with questions about death. And he would bring a burial mixture for Jesus. On this day that we remember the birth of Jesus, I hope, like Nicodemus, you too will come to the foot of the cross. And you will come in praise. And you will come humbled and seeking and then saying, Lord, with open hands I come. Use me for your kingdom. And I promise you that in the end you will find the utmost joy that we have that this season reminds us life with him forever and ever. And this communion reminds us of that. Let's pray together. Father, for your kindness to us, it is better than life. Thank you for your son, Jesus. On this Christmas day, we remember your mercies that know no end. And that is most revealed through the giving of your son to a world that did not love him, that would reject him, that would crucify him. Thank you for showing us through the eyes of of Nicodemus who, though he was high and lofty, he saw himself so much lower than the Savior that he worshipped. That he did not see him through physical eyes that saw merely a carpenter's son, but rather the Holy Spirit opened his eyes so that he would see the Savior of the world. And on this Christmas day, O Lord, I pray that if anyone here does not trust in the name of Jesus, that you would open their eyes and show them that there is no hope apart from you. But in Christ Jesus, we have everything. And as we take this communion, may we remind ourselves that you gave everything so that we might live. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.